Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I'm your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. All right, it's been a while. I'm back, though. Um, Today on our show, we have Diana Robinson, Central PA native that plays the violin very well. Um, And we're going to talk about music, music theory. Um, The conversation wanders a little bit, but it's a good talk, and I think it's entertaining. Stick around for that. It is currently 36 degrees in Harrisburg, PA, and 48 degrees in Fort Worth, Texas. So why has it been so long since I've done a show? Have I been busy? Sort of, but I don't know if that's the best excuse. Honestly, it's just taken me a lot longer to put this episode together because I have a lot more music in it, and I've transitioned from producing the episodes in GarageBand to Logic, which is a different uh, computer music program, and there's a big learning curve. But hopefully it'll be better, and it'll be a little better produced. This episode, that's boring talk, but this episode is going to have a little more music in it. Now, like I said, I have Diana Robinson on. We played violin. She played violin. I played piano or guitar. And I'm going to intersperse some of that music throughout the show. I've also been recording a lot more music. Oh, see, that's me playing guitar. And you're going to hear her playing violin. And we just made this stuff off the top of our heads. You know, uh, there was no real plan. It just, hey, I'm going to start recording. Anyways, what's new? So, um... And I put some beats behind this, too. Okay, so what's new? The Olympics are over. Do, do people care about that? I I missed, uh... I wish I would have just on here to talk about it. I like the figure skating and all that, the controversy. The Oscars? You know, we had that... Uh, I've been a vegan for the whole month of February. That's now over. Um, hey, there was a death in my family. I traveled to Fort Worth, Texas. Um... There was, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died, which was incredibly upsetting to me. I, um, I'm surprised how it affected me. Uh, the UAW lost a union election in, um, Tennessee. So those are all a bunch of, uh, things that, uh, I'm not going to talk about (laughs) on this episode. Um, other than, uh, me being vegan for the month of February. Briefly. This is the second year I did this. And I also read the book... The China Study by Dr. T. Colin Campbell. And, you know, let's be honest. There's more and more evidence proving that a high-protein, animal-based, you know, animal-protein diet is not good for your health. The more animal product protein you eat, you're going to have heart disease, you're going to have cancer. Um, and actually, it's funny. There's just been a couple articles recently in mainstream press. The Atlantic had an article about the uh, benefits of um, uh, plant-based diets with your blood pressure, with um, avoiding, you know, uh, heart disease. And then there was this recent study. Um, oh, I forget what university that said like, you know, too much meat and cheese. Uh, is linked to a risk of early death for people in their 50s and 60s. And that, you know, if you eat more plant-based food, vegetables, fruits, whole uh, nuts, whole grains, and all that stuff, you're 74% more likely to uh, meet... Um, or you're, you're less likely to die early. You're 74% more likely to die early if you do eat uh, all that animal food. So... You know, okay, here's another song. Hear that? Now, I wrote this thinking I was going to have a segment on CEOs. <laughs> and um, 
the idea of this song was just a simple beat with guitar doing whatever the heck it wanted to do, really, like a CEO would do. And then with some little electronic stuff uh, kind of in there, but not that important. What do you think of this? So I'm thinking, you know, maybe future episodes I'll have, um, you know, stuff about uh, CEOs, which I did want to just do a couple things to get off my chest here, a couple little numbers. Did anyone hear about that uh, thing that was, you know, the 85 richest people uh, in the world are as uh, wealthy as the poorest half of the world? Um, and then I read this other... Uh, statistic that said if that pipeline goes through the Exxon, hold on <laughs> um, if the Keystone XL pipeline happens, whatever that's going to give us 35 permanent jobs according to the State Department um, that's pretty pathetic I think okay, another more numbers, I know it this isn't just a Harper's Numbers thing, but getting back to the minimum wage and all that stuff. You like that little doodad thing in the music I do. Um, I'm, three more numbers here. One million hours a McDonald's employee must work to earn the CEO's salary. I don't know if that's that impactful. Okay, how about this? 30 million number of workers who would benefit from raising the minimum wage to $10.10 an hour. I think that's pretty significant. $28 is the amount of the hourly minimum wage if it kept pace with the income growth of the top 1%. Now that's less than I make. I mean, that's, that's more than I make, $20 an hour. Um... Okay, let's listen to this song a little bit more. What do you think? Alright, maybe you like it, maybe you don't. It's going to play for a little longer here. But I wanted to talk about... Uh, and this isn't just news clippings here, but it kind of is, because I had to get a lot of this stuff off my chest. Edward Snowden, I know we all um, have our different views on that. I would like to hear your views, by the way. You can email the show at prcshow at gmail.com. Anyways, there was an article by uh, Lawrence Wright in The New Yorker January of this year that said, like, you know, I'll read this. Edward Snowden broke the law, and the Obama administration has demanded that he be brought to justice. But no one has died because of his revelations. The CIA's obstruction of justice in the Cole investigation arguably was also a crime. Cole was that uh, ship that uh, got like bombed and stuff, and some some Americans died. Its failure to share information, the CIA's, we're talking about failure failure to share information from the Al Qaeda switchboard, opened the door to the biggest terrorist attack in history. 9-11, because the CIA knew about all these guys that were um, Al-Qaeda, but weren't sharing that information. As long as we're talking about accountability, 
why shouldn't we demand it from the CIA? Just food for thought. Okay, cut the music here. I uh, am going to have a segment about the book of Revelations. I'm going to summarize it for you in six minutes. I tried to do it in five. I couldn't. But you can do it in six minutes, I think. Now, I just read a book about it by Elaine Pagels, which I find very fascinating. And uh, there's going to be some music that I created behind it that's a little bit church and uh, ominous sounding, I guess, that kind of goes with the Revelations theme. But let me read a poem first. (laughs) This has nothing to do with Revelations. It's just a poem that I like. I bought a book of poetry the other day. Sometimes I stay up late because I have to for work when I'm off. And um, I figured I should support the arts. I read this poem a while back and I really liked it. And I'm going to share it with you. I'm not going to analyze it. I'm just going to read it. Here we go. On Hearing Your News by Kate Buckley. My eyes lay flat in my skull, darkened, bruised. Lashes whip-stitched to swollen lids. Sleep has once again been elusive. My organs weigh more than they did the day before. Swollen with unhappiness. Gorged on regret. Tiny fists in my stomach pummeling. The hanging ball of my heart. All right, that's it. Short. Kate Buckley on hearing your news from the book A Wild Region, uh, copyright 2008. Okay, we're going to do Revelations, the book of Revelations, uh, short and sweet. So, Jaunt of Patmos says he had a vision that Jesus announced that God is going to make war on the evil powers that have taken over the world. John says that he heard a voice telling him to come up here, apparently a summons to ascend into heaven through a door he saw standing open before him. John says that at once I was in the spirit, allowed to glimpse the throne of God in heaven. I saw seven gold lampstands and God wearing an ankle length robe with a gold sash around his chest. His hair was white as snow and his eyes as fiery as a flame. His feet were like polished brass refined in a furnace. (laughs) His voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars. Seven seems to be a fun number here. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth and his face shone like the sun. Okay, then um, John sees a slaughtered lamb standing next to God who offers to show him what must take place after this. The angels sound uh, some trumpets, like the trumpets you hear in the background music and the four horsemen of the apocalypse burst forth uh, one on a white horse one on a red horse one on a black horse one on a four, um, a pale horse what's the difference between pale and white I don't know um, John sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth now this is when the earth was flat and or square I'm thinking maybe like Pangea times if this is accurate and we can ask God like how this was written Oh, anyways, and um, they're placing seals on the foreheads of 144,000 men, the elite troops of God's people. These are the 12 tribes from each of uh, Israel's tribes. 12,000, I'm sorry, from each of uh, the tribes, 12 tribes. Um, then suddenly the scene returns to the heavenly throne where John sees a star fall from heaven, a being who opens the shaft of the bottomless pit from which giant locusts with human faces, women's hair streaming behind them emerge as an army of monsters led by Abaddon 
Angel of the Abyss. Now here, this gets more science fiction-y here. In heaven, two signs appear. A woman clothed with the sun, hugely pregnant and cries out in labor, about to give birth to a male child, God's Messiah, while a red dragon with seven heads paces in front of her, waiting to devour the infant. The woman escapes, her child is caught up into heaven, and John is shocked to see war break out in heaven. Um, then we have uh, the Archangel Michael, and his angels are fighting the dragon, and his angels who fight back are beaten down, get thrown out of heaven, and fall to earth. Okay, then the frustrated dragon storms off to make war on the women and upon all her children who remain on earth. That's confusing to me, but John sees the dragon has called forth two huge beasts as an allies. The first, now get this one, has seven heads and ten horns. So obviously one head has multiple horns. Um, that's interesting to me. Rises out of the sea and receives power to make one those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus and to dominate the whole world. The second beast um, has a mysterious name and John says it's indicated by the number 666. Makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast and cause all those who would not worship the image of the beast be killed. Okay. So Cosmic War intensifies. John sees the seven angels in heaven uh, pour out God's wrath from golden bowls onto the earth. The horror intensifies as the sixth angel pours his bowl on the river Euphrates near Babylon, and the spirits of demons summon all the leaders of the nation. So if this happened today, it would be like Obama, Putin, Angela Merkel, Kim Jong-un. Um, and preparing for the terrible battle of Armageddon, which is going to take place at, of course, Mount Carmel in present-day Israel. Now, the seventh angel causes the most violent earthquake the world has ever known. More powerful than that San Francisco one in 1906. I remember there was one in Japan, you know, this was devastating. But um, then John sees visions of Babylon in the form of a great uh, whore, brilliantly dressed, adorned with jewels, sitting on the scarlet, sitting on a scarlet beast with seven heads, drinking the blood of God's people from a golden cup. When the battle reaches its climax, Jesus appears as a divine warrior, mounted on a white horse as he rides forth from heaven to lead armies of angels into war. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, wouldn't that cut his tongue though, you'd think, to strike down nations that will rule them with an iron rod. I think that's a strange way of putting it. Jesus, of course, wins, and Satan is thrown into a pit, the dragon chained, the beast thrown into a lake of fire, while all human beings who had died faithful to God come back to life and reign over the earth for how many years? Come on, we all know this. For a thousand years. Then Jesus judges the whole world and all who have worshipped other gods or committed murder, magic, or illicit sexual acts. Um, and those people are thrown to be tormented forever in a lake of fire, while God's faithful are invited to enter a new city of Jerusalem that descends from heaven and where Christ and his people reign in triumphant for a thousand years. Now my question is here, the, with the magic, does that mean like people that committed um, magic like Penn and Teller or David Blaine and David Copperfield, are those people going to be thrown into to hell? I mean, I know um, Penn and Teller, I think they're atheists or whatever, but David Copperfield, what if he's a Christian, even though he's performing magic? Um, anyways, enough, that's Revelations. Read it.
Okay, I tricked you. We still got to do sponsors. <laughs> We're not going to get onto the talk yet with Diana. This week, the sponsor is... We got to pay the bills here. Oh, Sorry about that rambling uh, revelation. So we're going to bounce things off a little bit. Bounce things out with sponsored this week by Frederick Engels. <laughs> Socialism, Utopian and Scientific. This is a pamphlet um, by Engels that, uh, let's see, I have a review here that says, constitutes the basic foundation um, with Easy to understanding, exciting to read, and profound primer for the revolutionary working class point of view uh, of scientific socialism that Marx and Engels founded. It links their political and philosophical views in a clear and concise and very readable booklet. I may or may not have read more than 50% of this. Um, Engels provides not simply a discussion of utopian socialism and its differences with scientific socialism, but does it in a way that outlines why the ruling capitalist class of modern society will not cede power to working people peacefully, why the society is so forcefully organized to preserve the exploitation and oppression of working people, women, oppressed people, and the former colonial countries face at the hands of the big business interests of Europe, U.S., and Japan. One of the unexpected joys of reading this is that the, despite the philosophical and political rigor and seriousness, Engels is always able to put in a little humor and a little wit. So, um, this is uh, the sponsor this week, Frederick Engels, a long-dead socialist. Um, <laughs> socialism, utopian, and scientific. You know, it's actually it's only like 95 pages. I think I bought this in D.C., uh, right before I went to the Church of Scientology Museum, which was a fun experience. Or the Church of Scientology. I don't think it was a museum. Probably should be a museum. Okay, um, now on to our talk. show with you about Central PA. That's terrible. But that's that's for another time. Um, where are you from? Palmyra, Pennsylvania, 17078. Are you, that's where you're born and raised, in Palmyra. Well, I was born in Harrisburg at the Polyclinic Hospital, not very far from where we're sitting Oh, right, right where now. the show, I mean, right, very near to where the show right, was produced right, and made. Right, and, and then, broadcast. yeah, and then the first year or so of my life was spent in Hershey. Then I lived in Pottsville and in Lock Haven, and then by the time I was five, we had moved to Palmyra, and I lived there most of my life till college. So that is like a, a South Central PA. Well, Lock Haven's Central Central, and Pottsville's a little bit East Central PA. What region is that that you moved around to? I'm trying to think. That's all the Central. The mid state. Mid mid. The mid state. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you really have a mid mid. 
Pennsylvania State ethos. You embody. No. You don't. Wouldn't you say that you embody what mid-state Pennsylvania is? Should we give those wins back to Joe Paterno? I do not embody Central Pennsylvania. That's the thing. I am from here, but I don't. I don't tend to embody. The Where did you go to college at? Uh, Elizabethtown College in which Elizabethtown, Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, which is uh, in Lancaster County, just south of Hershey, heading towards Lancaster. And where did you learn to play the violin so beautifully? Uh, I learned, I started in just like my public school music program. Public school? You learned how to play the violin in the public school? I know. Well, no. Where I did you go to, like Germany or, uh, oh, hell you know? No. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Just don't say the F word, please. Okay. I, uh, no, we, s we had a teacher in third grade who came to our class and said, you guys should all play instruments. And I was a gullible third grader, so I learned to play an instrument. And then I had a really terrible in-school music teacher, but I sucked it up and dealt with her because I started taking private lessons. And I, I liked my I, private teacher. Um, you know what, actually, I went to Catholic school for five years. I'm sorry. Oh, my cat is annoying me. No, Anyways, I'm sorry you went to Catholic school. No, I wasn't okay. molested, so that was good. Oh, good. I was an altar boy, but I wasn't molested. Anyways, <laughs> when I was in second or third grade, um, actually, I believe it was third grade, they offered um, music lessons, and I took the saxophone. Nice. And um, I learned alto sax, I took, and then I took private lessons for maybe two or three years, up until the age of, uh, I don't know, 10 or 13 or something like that. But then I sold my saxophone for a guitar. And I've for drug money? For, for, <laughs> for a guitar, and I've been playing guitar ever since I was, uh, whatever, 13. Um, but they didn't offer violin. That was too complicated. It was only woodwinds, and then when I went to public school, there was no violin because there was no violin in the marching band. So I find that very interesting that you played violin. See, and to brush that cat away, he's, he's going to I mean, he's gonna get away. Cat, go away. Yeah. See, I rejected the, the band instruments because the band people were, by and large, weird. Well, that's always the case, but I, we had an orchestra, and actually, I originally. Deep so you had secret. two. You had two different. Um, you had two different music programs at your public school. We had a band and an orchestra, and the or the band you could not start until fourth grade. But I was impatient, so I started violin in third grade because I really wanted to play the French horn. But I couldn't do that till fourth grade. Why would you want to play the French horn? When I think I thought of French it sounded horn, pretty. Okay, but let's be honest now. French horn's kind of a nerd instrument. I mean, it might not be now that we're older and we appreciate music, but back in the day, it's like, I play the French horn. I was There's a the couple cool instruments. The saxophone and the trumpet, everybody knows, are the coolest instruments. In my school, actually, the flute and the clarinet were the cool girl instruments. Clarinet? That's a Woody Allen plays. Every girl played the clarinet at my elementary school. And do then they all quit after do, do a year. Do we like the clarinet as an instrument? Do I'm people actually like completely it? neutral. I think I think I'm neutral to negative. It does have a nice sound. I'm think maybe I'm thinking of the oboe. The oboe is pretty. The oboe is actually the same range as the violin. But I'll tell you what attracted me to the French horn was, and I understand that I didn't understand it until much later. There was a girl at my high school who was a phenomenal French horn player, and when she played, it had this otherworldly sound to it that when it's played well. It's just strikingly pretty. That's the one that's like a circle. It's, it's a, a circle, circle thing, and it's like you hold it like a, um, like a baby. Kind uh, of. Kind of. Kind of. Um, but there's no like, uh, who's a world famous French horn player? I don't know. Well, yeah, you don't know, right? There's uh, John Coltrane for the saxophone and everybody else. Um, 
you know, uh, you could go on Charlie Parker. There's uh, Miles Davis. There's no f- French horn's not a well, it's not a jazz instrument. I guess it's more of a classical music thing. Well, but I grew up listening to classical music. I was the kid that loved classical music, and I think that inspired a lot of my interest in French horn, and eventually allowed me to settle on the violin. And I will say. I took the violin for a year in third grade with the intention of probably quitting and going to French horn in fourth grade, and then I liked violin enough that I never did play the French horn and still have never touched a French horn in my life. The violin, so I flirted with the violin for a while. I played guitar for a long time. I've been teaching myself piano since I had a, um, a crisis in my 20s, and I just bought a nice uh, electric piano. It is a very nice piano. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, pretty nice. I like it. Um, and so I've been learning that for the last uh, six years. But um, I bought a vi- I, I rented a violin, and I play guitar. Oh, I'd be really good. I have a lot of finger dexterity, blah, blah, blah. Much more difficult than I thought. And, and it's very easy to sound terrible on the violin because of the entire horsehair bow thing. That, that's a skill. You can't just pick it up and start plucking away. And um, It's also the intonation. A lot of instruments have a um, a built-in intonation, like the guitar has frets, the piano has hammer action keys, and you can't right. really mess with them past a certain point. The violin's a lot of um, it relies heavily on your own intonation and your own your own ear. technique, your own way of touching and, and dealing with the instrument. Right, and keeping it in tune is not innate. It's like singing. You know, you you can't you you know how to hit the right notes. Is your keeping it in tune sort of your? Sorry to interrupt you. Is your keeping it in tune also the way you sort of hear it and bend the notes and Absolutely. press on the notes? Because that's Absolutely. Abs- I can see that. But it's not. I mean, uh, some of that's cheating, though. Like I'm, I'm sure like should better be technicians right. would have a better just innate sense of that. But I feel like I'm constant, or maybe I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. I do feel like I'm constantly readjusting the tune to what I feel is the best version of the note I'm supposed to be playing. And a lot Wait, of you mean in the actual perform? Actually, when you're playing, you're saying like you're you're constantly sliding your finger up a little bit more. Or are you saying you're actually t- tinkering with the the tuning pegs? No, I'm not tinkering with the tuning pegs. I'm moving my fingers accordingly. Well, there's no lines on the fretboard. Right, and that's because you go by ear. So right. you just you're relying on a good ear. Okay. And so that's a, a really iffy thing because if the barometric pressure is a little off one day, you know your intonation changes. Because no, that no sounds like a that is first off. Pitch. That might have been the nerdiest things ever been said on the PRC show. The barometric pressure is going to determine the tuning of a violin. We should cut this segment out. No, I, explain <laughs> that. Did you just make that up, or is that something no, that somebody told you thing. years ago? No, it's actually a thing. I just had a conversation with a guy about like last week. The barometric pressure is going to change my. Think tuning. about it. I had I've had this conversation a few times in the past week, but all pitch is relative. Well, right. I, right. Well, I mean, well, no, it's not. Well, it's absolute within a range of hertz. But even within that, there's it's like physics. There's no such thing as absolutes. It's all relatives, right? So when the mic's on, and I'm going to do a little experiment right now that you're not going to tell because it's going to be done in post-production. You're going to make me sound like I'm talking about tinfoil hats, right? Yeah. No, I'm saying like all sound is not relative. So right now, relative to you and me, my voice sounds normal. But actually, the people listening to this voice, they're going to hear my voice being very, very deep. And then they're going to also hear my voice it's being a very, very high pitched. But that's just because I'm playing around with the, uh, you know, with the, with the effects. And when the vocal mics are on or when the, when the microphones are on, now we're back to normal, we all hear the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. The audience, the person playing, all hears the same thing. Anyways, l- let's exit that uh, argument. I wanted to present an argument to you 
about the viola because I've always thought that the viola was an underutilized, unsung hero in all of music. And I here's love the viola. And here's why I'll tell you that. Isn't it not true that the viola is uh, tuned like a guitar or a bass guitar? No. Okay. It's not tuned. It's tuned actually. Like um, a violin. It's tuned to fifths like a violin. But um, it has three d- strings in common with a violin, but where the violin has one note above it, violin and viola both have a G, a D, and an A. A violin goes up to an E, which is a higher note. The viola drops down to a C below the lowest G. So it's just the viola can play a fifth below the violin. Oh, then that's actually... And it's a larger body, and so so it resonates differently. So it actually doesn't go as low as I thought. No, you may be thinking of a cello. No, a cello, we all know. Yo-Yo Mod, everyone loves the cello. I mean, that's the most popular instrument in I the, love in the, the string. Yeah. Yeah. So a viola maybe is useless. You've no. changed my mind. The viola is not useless. People the don't viola is beautiful. See, I think I'd like to play the viola because I feel it has a little bit of a deeper timber sound to it. And sometimes, no offense, the, vi- the violin, which I love, it gets a little high up there. You get a little lost in the sauce. It gets a little bit of a, you know, whiny, you know, all that stuff. And it's good. I mean, and if s- people that can play it well, sounds great. But a viola has a little bit of a thicker, you know, more muscular. Am I being sexist? A, a, a deeper sound to it. But if it's only going one note lower, then maybe I'm no, wrong. No, it's going a fifth lower. So it can take five notes below the violin. Which is pathetic. Five no- That's just one string on a guitar. Yeah, but you also have a bigger body, like instrument body size. So it's going to be deeper. So it's a deeper resonance. Right, right, right. right. It's got a prettier sound. I've often toyed with the notion of switching to the viola. It reads in a different clef as well. It's an in-between clef. Yeah, it? it's a C clef. I think. The bass. Well, there's only two clefs. There's a bass. It's like... In no, be- you can actually put a clef at any note on the scale. If you make this one weird clef, this al- oh, alto clef, I'm sorry. It's called alto clef. And you can um, make this clef so that whatever the middle note is is going to be C something. or yeah. whatever. Well, yeah. that sounds barbaric and ridiculous, and that's why people don't play it. I've convinced <laughs> myself that I'm not going to play the viola if you have to have a third clef. It's really easy to read that clef, though. Because it's all going to be in the lines. Well, you just figure out what the five things are and then just yeah. transpose up or down from there. Okay, let me yeah. ask you this, though. Um I started playing acoustic guitar. I love playing around and all that stuff. However, however, I hate, I don't want to say hate. That's a strong word. We should never just say we hate things if we don't truly hate them and want them to die and suffer. But I um, I don't care for uh, folk music. And um, that's like a classic... Uh, guitar player you know strumming to and i actually don't like even playing um just like top hits on my uh acoustic guitar um i like to doodle and play sort of like bluesish jazzish and just whatever avant-garde stuff and whatever you want to do and just make little rhythms up and stuff as a violin player do you have the do you have a same type of music that you do not like to play on the violin or is there a certain style that you like? Is there a certain style that you like? Oh, I don't want to play that. St- that. And bef- uh, be- as you think about that, the reason for me, the reason why I don't like to play um, that type of music is it's usually just a couple chords, and it's like you're a jukebox. And actually, it proves that you're not really a good guitar player, but you are. And this is a certain skill that I don't have. You are a good jukebox. You can remember things. You remember songs. You can play 
whatever these sem these seven to eight chords that play these different songs, and you just can regurgitate them. I find that extremely boring. I get that way, actually, kind of probably with the same thing. There are people that like to play cover songs, and they're like, I'm going to play, like, C and G, and you can play, you know, the melody line to, like, Alicia Keys. Oh, and they're like, I oh, you're so good. Yeah, and then they're like, you're so good. That and was so like, emotional. And it's like, I played eight notes, and they were all, like... Boring, or whatever. Boring. Say, yeah. yeah, there's nothing really to do with them. Yeah, I think that would be one. The other thing is, you know... I have trouble sometimes with jazz improv just because I feel like sometimes it's entirely self-indulgent and I, certainly and that and that bothers me sometimes for improvisation because I don't feel like it's going anywhere as much as it's doing things because it can not because it's musically cohesive well so that's a different argument yeah, than what you're getting at. yeah and, and so, somebody told me once uh maybe this is like a famous saying but like the person that likes jazz the most is the person that's playing it can hear it in their head. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, oh, listen to what he's gonna do here. But only the person like playing like the beep bop boop boop, boop you know can hear it. But um mm -hmm. getting back to this point about playing the uh cla like uh pop songs or whatever, when I was a kid, I when I learned how to play bonanza on guitar, my father was so impressed. I was like, oh my God, now we're getting a return on our investment here. This this my son is a great guitar player. This and I was like, you know, darn right. And um so that was cool. But then he would always ask me to play it anytime yeah. somebody and I was like, but don't you understand I'm now have learned how to play Creeping Death by Metallica. Right. And I've learned how to play the bridge to that song, which is very difficult. Right. Or I've learned how to play, you know, the solo part in Master of Puppets. That is, you should be celebrating that. They didn't give a crap about Master of Puppets or Metallica, but they wanted to hear that. And that was the reaction, which just upset me. Why do you care about Bonanza? Who c but it's something they know. Oh, my God. And now I'm thinking about this. I got to give my dad credit and, and your friends credit that are seeing you play uh, Alicia Keys. <coughs> Bless you. Who is that? God. <laughs> um, it's Kate. Yeah. So the thing is, though, you're picking up this tool and you're actually producing a sound that they're like, wow, I've heard that before. You're, this is like a magical thing that you're doing and it's very impressive. Let's be honest. I'm playing bananas on a guitar, even though it's easy to play. They don't know that. They don't know it's easy to play. They don't know the keys is easy to play. But it is kind of like an impressive thing for them because they can't do it. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I can't hit a basket from, you know necessarily a three-pointer three-point line so right. maybe it's the same but for other people they're like Ooh, I can do that. well I, that reminds me of the time my mother-in-law hit a hole in one um when we were doing mini golf and she thought that that was very rare and she was so it was it looked like it was the happiest day of her life she was like oh my god because it was i think it was the first time my in-laws i love them to death they're probably listening now because they listen to all the shows i think but they're a little bit odd let's be honest they don't go to mini, mini golf and stuff like that. And I think for her, she didn't think it would might have been like a one-time-a-year thing that somebody hits a hole-in-one. Yeah. But it's like, you know what? That, that happens probably every night here. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about uh, regarding um, violin play? I, I actually, I have a quick question. Is that real horse hair on the... Uh, yeah. You can get different kinds of horse hair, too. Is you that the best kind? Because let's be honest. 
That was invented, what, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, the violin. Yeah. You think technology would make a better thing to vibrate this? No, because the nylon? strings are animal gut. Well, the strings are metal. Yeah, but they're, an- they're a lot of them are animal gut core. So it's all the organic substances, and they um, they kind of yeah. expand and contract with like with barometric Vibration. pressure. If we're oh, gonna go, there with, we that go again. Again with that again, um, and so you're not a vegan then? Me no, because that would be anti. I wonder. Are, are there? Paul, vegan? I just ate chicken, and you saw me eat chicken an hour ago. I can't know there. I can't confirm or deny that, but. I, I wonder, are there vegan um, violin players? Is this a thing, you think? Or? That's a really good question. I know that they sell uh, carbon fiber instruments that are not made of wood. And I know that you can buy bows that are made of carbon fiber as well, which is like a compound thing that's not wood. But yeah, I've I, never I wonder if they sound better. I don't think... Because you're trying to get that classic sound. So it might sound different, which is nef- ne- not necessarily better. I don't know. I think there's a lot of like animal sourced parts i mean the glue that holds an instrument together is animal based what yeah it's just not like elmer's or hypoxy or uh-uh. whatever but to answer your question i'll give you a good interesting tidbit about horsehair on a violin there are different kinds you can get and i probably don't know all of them but i know you can get mare. black stallion yeah you can get black stallion hair and it's a grittier sound what about human hair i've not tried that my wife has long hair. What if we try to? T- what if we chop a little piece off of that and put it on? Uh, I I don't know how she'd feel about that, but I would imagine her hair is softer, whereas the horse hair is brittle, so it creates like a friction on the strings. Oh, she's got very coarse hair. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it, it, I love my wife. She's a very beautiful woman, but um. I don't, I don't think your wife's hair is as coarse as you think it is. Not coarse enough to sustain well, violin playing. Okay, so you w- you, you want a, like a thicker coarse hair. It's also if you look at the size of the hairs on they're a thick. Boat, they're thick. They're big hairs. I wonder if they've used other animals. Oh, then. you know what? I lied. They do. They sell like fake horse hair, and but it's for starter instruments, and it's really bad. I forgot. And it's human hair. No, it's like nylon, and it's really bad. Because it's just like plastic. Yeah, right? it's really, really bad. And you need to have those little like microbe uh, friction elements. Right. You also rosin a bow. You put like a like a resin. Yeah, the um, powder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. that helps with friction. That's why you get white powder all over your instrument. It's not cocaine. Okay. I'm going to... What? <laughs> Who thought it was cocaine? No one's ever thought that. I mean... Well, I implanted the memory in your... Okay. Your well, no. Has that been a controversy in the violin community? <laughs> no. They're like, oh, this guy's. That's why he's no. so good. Oh, is that how they play so fast? Yes. Um, well, thank you, Diana. We're going to have you on in a future episode again. Thank okay. you for coming on. Anything else you'd like to say about um, uh, violin or uh, Central Pennsylvania, which we didn't really talk about? Yeah, we didn't really talk about Central Pennsylvania. Um, Anything you want to say about your playing that we're going to be playing underneath this whole conversation? Uh, sorry. Oh God, it's <laughs> great. It's a, it's a great playing. Okay. All right. Um, thanks for coming. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Um, Thank you, Diana, for the wonderful talk. And I have some new ideas for some future shows I think I talked about last time. I'm going to try to interview possibly... Well, I won't won't spoil it. Um, Okay, if you have any uh, thoughts or concerns, email them to prcshow at gmail.com, prcshow at gmail.com. All right, spring has arrived, and enjoy it. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the PRC Show. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC Show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC Show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producers Josh Ferris, all labors donated. Thanks for listening.